Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Well, that video is very, very funny. Until you come to that last little speech. This is my wife and kids. Been married 20 years. And after 20 years of marriage, I still want to ride in and be my wife's knight in shining armor. You know what I want? I want to be a man who wakes up every morning and asks the question, how can I bless my wife today? Wow. I mean, wow. That sentiment demands commitment. That sentiment requires commitment. And I believe that commitment is the key to a lasting marriage. Marriages that go the distance, marriages that last, marriages that are healthy and happy and full of uh, loyalty and dedication and faithfulness and most of all commitment are the ones that make it. And there has to be commitment on the part of the husband and the wife in order for it to work well. When a man and woman exchange vows on their wedding day, they are declaring their commitment to God and to each other. Often when I do a wedding ceremony, I remind couples of that. You're making a, a double declaration today. You're, you're making a commitment to God, and you're making a commitment to your, to your spouse, to your partner. They're, they're taking vows which express the promises and pledges and obligations that, that, marriage, that makes marriage work. And I realize, after this many years of doing wedding ceremonies, that wedding vows differ from one wedding to the next. But most of them contain words of commitment of some sort. Something like, to have and to hold, from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, or poorer, or poorer, or poorer, (laughs) in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. That's the language of commitment, right? That's commitment language. And that's what it takes for a marriage to last. It takes commitment. And believe me when I say that God takes our vows seriously. God takes our vows, our wedding vows, very seriously, and so should we. You take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, for example, and it says, When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to Him. If you make a promise, you need to keep a promise. So why are so many people not keeping their promises to each other these days? Why are so many people walking away from the vows that they made on their wedding day? Why is the level of commitment so low in our society? An all-time low. And even in the church, it seems like commitment is not very fashionable anymore. Why is that? Well, let me give you some reasons why I think it's happening. The first reason is public opinion. 
public opinion. It's a, it's a powerful force in our culture, in our society. Social media and television programs are full of stories of failed marriages and lack of commitment. People just walk away from their marriage. It seems like everybody's doing it, so it gives, uh, it gives incentive to others. And there seem to be no real consequences, at least not that we can see on, on, uh, on the surface. And so many people have called it quits. Public opinion is a very strong force. I talked to a young fellow a number of months ago who was planning to get married. He works in a tool and die shop. And he said every single day, somebody ribs him about getting married. Why would you transfer your freedom for a ball and chain, dude? Public opinion is a very powerful thing. And our senses are dulled by the frequency and the acceptance of so-called no-fault divorce. We've been affected by that. We've been affected by our culture. We're affected by public opinion. Commitment is also dwindling today because of dead orthodoxy. Instead of altering our lives to conform to biblical teaching... Instead of focusing our attention on obedience to God's word, some people simply modify their theology to fit their change in lifestyle. You see what I'm saying? Accommodating their theology. So they, they change the way they, they view things. You know, you talk to people who, who 20 years ago were absolutely dead set against marriage. Absolutely not. But now they're uh, sort of in favor of it. Why? Because they got divorced and so they changed their theology and they changed their understanding. They changed their interpretation of the Word of God. Well, I know the Bible says God hates divorce, but He doesn't really mean that. Oh, well, what does He mean then? Well, it, you know, it, it's, that's a really harsh word and, I, you know, God isn't like that. Accommodating theology. Some people simply modify their theology to accommodate their lifestyle. And that doesn't just have to do with marriage and relationships. <laughs> it covers a lot of ground. It covers a lot of ground. They may still believe all the right things, but they don't practice what they, what they believe or what they preach. That's dead orthodoxy. And God says something about that in the old, old, dusty, dry Old Testament. Way back in Ezekiel chapter 33, God warns His prophet Ezekiel about the, com about the people who are coming to hear Him teach from the, from the Scriptures. He, he said in uh, Ezekiel 33 verse 31, So my people come, pretending to be sincere, and sit before you. They listen to your words. They listen to your sermons, your podcast. But they have no intention of doing what you say. Their mouths are full of lustful words and their hearts seek only after money. You are very entertaining to them. You show some nice video clips like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. That's dead orthodoxy. That's saying we believe certain truths, but we, we, we don't let that change our lives. It has absolutely no impact on us. That's dead orthodoxy. And my, my friends, there are churches all across the landscape that, that have that as a, almost as a banner over the front door. 
We believe in dead orthodoxy here. There's absolutely no life change that's, that's evident in some of those places because they've accommodated their theology and changed the word of God to give license to their chosen lifestyle. And that's dangerous. Spiritually deadly. It leads to spiritual impotence. People listening to the teaching from the Word of God about healthy relationships and people listening to podcasts and sermons and reading books about, about strong marriage, but they never put it into practice. That's dead orthodoxy, and that's really dangerous. A third reason why we see less and less commitment today? Delayed consequences. Delayed consequences. Solomon talked about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. He said, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, if we don't see the consequences of, of this crime quickly, then people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Because the fire from heaven doesn't fall immediately, and the judgment of God can't be seen immediately, it almost gives people license. Oh, well, I guess it's not so bad after all. I guess my sin is not really that sickening to God after all, because He's not doing anything about it. The, the, the consequences of my sin have been delayed, and maybe God will just forget about it. Maybe there won't be any consequences in the long term. Because, you see, sin is deceitful and it, it really plays with your brain and with your spiritual sensibilities. And you begin to rationalize what you're doing and why you're doing it. Delayed consequences may encourage some people to do whatever they want because God doesn't seem to be taking any punitive action. But the day is coming. The day is coming when God will make all things right. And the score will be settled once and for all by God Himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. So someday we're all going to stand before God and give an account. What will your balance sheet look like on that day? When you give an account to God for how you dealt with certain people, when you have to give an account for your relationships at work or at school or at home, what's that going to look like for you? Christian approval also erodes commitment. I've discovered over the years that there is often a very, very thin and veiled line between declaring the truth and offering comfort. There's a fine line between those two things. Telling the truth, thus saith the Lord. And offering compassionate care to those who are hurting, to those who 
have blown it to those who've made dumb choices. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes you... So, so we, we, we often default to one or the other. You know, the pendulum swings to one side or the other. Balance is, is, is a very elusive thing. You know, Jesus came full of grace and truth. Perfectly balanced in Jesus. Well, I'll tell you, you're not Jesus, uh, nor am I. And so the balance is a little harder to achieve. So we swing to the one side, and thus saith the Lord, you, uh, you, uh, uh, uh. or we swing to the other side and say, oh, you poor thing. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she said that. Yeah, oh, you. Later, let me give you a hug. You know, that you did the dumbest thing possible. I just want to hug you. And so, finding that, that balance, if there even is one between those two things, is very difficult. It's a fine line. We, we want to speak the truth. We want to tell people. We want to, we want to encourage people with the Word of God. We, we want them to know what the Scriptures teach about relationships. We want them to know what God says about marriage and how much He hates divorce and how, how much He values lifelong commitment. We want them to know that. We want to teach them. But there's also that need to put our arms around them and just, just love them because they're hurting so badly and, and, and they've been dealt a bad hand and all of that. So we keep working at it. And we keep swinging too far one way or the other. And we're not perfect. And we don't, we don't, we're not perfect friends uh, to the people that are around us who are in those situations. But I'll tell you what. It really, 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 really troubles me when Christians advocate separation or divorce as the first option for their friends who are in trouble. It's often the very first thing that we tell people. Oh, you, 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 get out of there. Get out of there. She burned your eggs in the morning? Divorce that, babe. Get, you know, hightail it. Of course, that's ridiculous, but I'll tell you, over 30 years, I've heard some pretty ridiculous things. People who look for reasons to bail will give you the dumbest reasons in the world sometimes. It troubles me when I hear Christians advocating separation or divorce as the very first course of action that somebody should take. Folks, that ought to be the last thing that we, that we do. So that kind of quick approval by respected, loved, well-intentioned Christians often leads to a very shallow view of commitments. And you can see that, right? So if commitment is the key to a lasting marriage, and I, I believe it is one of the keys, not the only one, but if it's, if it's one of the keys to a lasting marriage, then what can we do to enhance commitment to one another? Let's consider a few ideas. First of all, surrender every day to the Lord Jesus Christ. That goes for a marriage relationship or a relationship at work or, or at school. If you're in a serious relationship or even a relationship that is an authority uh, uh, relationship with a, a boss, you, you, you might want to apply this same principle. Just s- surrender that relationship to the Lord every day. 
James 4, 6 and 7. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the next part of the verse is the application. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God every morning. Surrender that relationship to the Lord. Put that relationship on the altar. Put your life on the altar every morning. Say, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. And I'm going to surrender my life to you. Every morning. That's a good prescription. Every single day. Humble yourself in the sight of God and come before Him in full surrender. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's a good way to position yourself in any relationship. With a broken and contrite heart. Not, not a proud heart, but a, a contrite heart. You can strengthen your significant relationships in life, and you can reinforce your marriage vows by surrendering your life completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Secondly, discover ways to nurture your faith together. I mean, take Peter's advice to heart. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.2, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So we often use this verse and point to this verse when we talk to people who have just trusted in Jesus Christ. We say, well, now, to get you started growing in your faith uh, in Christ, you, you, you should uh, get into the Word. We need to get you into a Bible study so that you can grow up into your salvation. You're hungry, you're longing, uh, needing the Word of God. We want to give, that, give you a good diet of that. We want you to grow in your faith. And, and, and so we, we encourage people, we talk to people about feeding your faith in your own quiet time. Spend some time alone with God every day, in the morning, at noon, or at night, whenever it works for you. Spend some time feeding your faith alone with God. But you can also find ways to feed your faith together as a, as a married couple or engaged couple. Uh, reading together, praying together, growing together in your faith, coming to worship together, experiencing that together. And I, I want that for my own marriage. Furthermore, if you want to enhance commitment in your relationship, focus on encouragements. I mean, I, re I read verses like, like Hebrews 3.13 this week, which say, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And when I read verses like that, I, I understand the importance of encouragements. And I have a responsibility to, to encourage my wife so that she does not become hardened by sin's deceitfulness. She has that same responsibility to speak words of encouragement to me. I need to encourage my wife every day. Every day, I need to focus on encouragement. And then there's another verse tucked away in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, that says, The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. So I, have that, I face that choice every time I open my trap. Is it, are they going to be life-giving words? Or am I going to deal death with my words? I spent a lot of years dealing death. Believe me. Now I want to spend the rest of my life speaking words of life. Not just preaching to people on the weekend, but talking to my family at home. Words of life.
Your words to your spouse can bring life or death. What's it going to be? I would encourage you to focus on encouragement. Let me give you one more idea that's not quite so popular. Make it your goal not to be happy, but to glorify God. I've said this in different ways over the years. God wants you to be holy. He doesn't care as much about your happiness as He cares about your holiness. Marriage is not meant uh, for your happiness. It's another instrument that God uses to sanctify you and make you holy. And maybe that's just a little too strong, so I didn't say that this morning. Instead, I said, make it your goal not to be happy, but to glorify God. You have a look at verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that includes marriage, right? Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And also Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. Again, that includes marriage. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do everything, do everything, including your marriage, including the, the, the important relationships in your life, the relationship you have with your boss, the relationship you have with fellow students, the relationship you have with your neighbors. Do all of those relationships in the name of Jesus. For the glory of God. I mean our ultimate goal in life. Our highest goal in life. Is not to be happy. But to glorify God. Westminster Catechism of Faith. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God. And enjoy Him forever. But you don't get to really enjoy life. You don't get to enjoy God You don't get to enjoy uh, serious relationships unless you're delighting yourself in the Lord. Glorifying Him. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God first and then enjoy Him forever. I think we, we get those switched around. We get those backwards so often. Glorify God. That's what I want for my relationships. That's what I want for my marriage. I, I want them to glorify God. I want my friendships. I want my relationships. I want my relationships with my son and daughters and my granddaughters to glorify God. I want my marriage relationship to glorify God, to bring glory and honor and blessing to Jesus. That's what I want. How about you? Isn't that what you want too? Of course it is. I want to live like that every day. I I wish I could say I was successful in that. But that's my heart's desire. I, I want to surrender every day to the Lord Jesus Christ and put my marriage and put my relationships on the altar again. Say, Lord, I'm a I'm just another living sacrifice queued up first thing in the morning to enter the throne room of grace, to find help and mercy and grace in the time of need. Today's another day of need. I need it. I need your help in my relationships. I need your help in my marriage. All you first-time parents are going, I I need help 
knowing what to do with this living creature in my arms here. Of course you do. It's a new relationship that you're learning to develop. I want to discover new ways that I, Patty and I can grow together in our faith. I, I heard there's a, a wonderful marriage enrichment retreat for, for senior pastors and their wives at an isolated Caribbean island. I have to go on the internet and find it now. I want to focus on encouragement in my relationship with her. And, and stop criticizing and analyzing and finding fault. I don't want that. I want to focus on encouragement. That's how I want to live. I want to live like that every day. How about you? I want my relationship, I want my marriage especially to glorify God. Because that's the one that, you know, that's the one that really, really, really counts. Because it's 24-7. I mean, I, I can come to the office and be a good boy for seven or eight hours and not do or say anything. I, I can go home and it's a different story. Because she knows me. Or she thinks she does. She does. She, she knows me. So I, I want that. I want to live like that every day. I, I want to make it my goal to glorify God first. And, and if we do, if that's really the goal, to glorify God first, then if happiness follows, and it generally does, that's a bonus. That's a bonus. You were wondering when I was ever going to get around to saying, yeah, there is happiness in marriage. Yeah, there is happiness in relationships. But I think if we focus on glorifying God first, then happiness comes. Happiness is not the goal. Glorifying God is. Happiness comes as a byproduct. It comes as a result of living my life in a way that's pleasing to God and my wife. Happy wife, happy life. Well, we've spent the last four Sundays here at the gathering talking about how to strengthen relationships and especially marriage, how to make it better and deeper and stronger. And I know that not all of you are married. I'm your, I'm your pastor. I'm your, I'm your shepherd. I, I know that. I, I understand that. I know that some of you have been married and now you're not. Some of you are separated. I know that. Some of you are single in the faith. You come, you come to church every Sunday with as a big of a smile as you can muster, knowing that your spouse is at home, either asleep or totally uninterested in Jesus. I know that too. Others are here today who really, really, really want to be married, but they're not, at least not yet. And then there are some who are widows or widowers. Well, I, I get that. And, and that's why I've tried, maybe not successfully, but I've really tried over the last four weeks to make this series on marriage works about relationships in general for, for a good part of it. 
And some of you have been very kind and very generous and very gracious and saying, you know, you hit the nail on the head for me. I'm, I'm divorced and it's nasty, but I, I learned something today, so thank you. And thank you for being generous. But, and I don't want to leave you out in, in the close of this message, but I, I just need to take a moment to talk to the couples, the married couples who are here this morning and, and they're together, they're sitting together. Um, you're here with your spouse. I need to talk to you for just a moment. We all recognize that there's no such thing as a perfect marriage, right? No such thing as a perfect marriage. You still have a long way to go, and so do I. But we're here today, we're, we, we are married, and many of us are sitting with our spouses. So, if you are sitting next to your spouse, here's what I want you to do. And you're going to say, oh, this is one of Garth's goofy things. <laughs> Just be nice to me today. And if you're sitting next to your spouse, all I want you to do is, is hold hands. And if you can, look at each other. There he goes. And accepting the fact that your marriage could always be better, and every marriage can be better, it's always the truth, accepting the fact that your marriage can always be better, I'd like the husband to look at the wife and say, I'm committed to you till death do us part. Okay, that was warm-up. Now, guys, I want you to say it one more time. I am committed to you till death do us part. And now I'd like the wives to say to their husbands, I am committed to you till death do us part. Commitment is the key to a lasting marriage. And now, thank you for your kindness now I'd like all of you to bow with me in prayer as we pray in the name of Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus, we, we know that a strong marriage is, is a very powerful tool in the hands of the Almighty God. Because the Almighty God wants the whole world to know that He is 100% committed to His bride, to the church, forever. And our marriage, the marriages that we have here on earth are supposed to be a reflection of and a copy of an illustration of the marriage that Jesus has with His bride, the church. And oh Lord, we know we fail at that. We know we fail from time to time and we ask for Your forgiveness for our failings, for our weakness. We have grace. And so we come... Uh, to the end of this message and this series on marriage this morning, we need to plant a flag. We need to drive a stake deep into the ground and, and say, here we stand. We are committed to God. We are committed to His Word. And we're committed to each other till death separates us. So Father, would You please strengthen every marriage represented here today? And would you fortify every other significant relationship that we have in our lives and, and help us to apply some of these broader principles to those relationships as well. Lord, we ask you to restore and renew and revive marriages in our church. Oh God, that we might, as men, we might learn to live 
as we heard this morning, love our wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her, sacrificing for His bride. We want to live like that. We really do, Lord. We want our lives to reflect the love and grace and mercy and truth of Jesus Christ who gives us strength every day to live like that. And for all the rest, we need grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. And we thank you for its availability to us this morning. In Jesus' name and through Jesus' name. Amen.